Welcome to Money in the Air, the music podcast about neighboring rights, the royalties you earn from the public performance of your recordings and the business of music in general. Brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. I'm Andrew, a royalty consultant helping artists to collect on their value. Hi, I'm Gina Deacon. I work for Absolute Rights Management and I work with record labels and artists to ensure we claim the royalty income due to them. I'm Stacey Haber and I'm from Inside Baseball Music Publishing. Hi, I'm Tanya Oliveira. I work for Transparency Entertainment Group. I focus on World X USA neighboring rights on the performer side and rights holder side. Hi, welcome back to Money in the Air, the neighboring rights podcast brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. We have an update for you. We're going to talk about evidence required for registrations because things have changed and it's not good. Tanya, can you give us a brief overview of the change, please? Of course, happy to. Senna is the Dutch CMO for performers and rights holders. Now, on the performer side, if you're registering your the recordings you've performed on or your representative is, you now have to submit evidence for every single track, regardless of if it was a soft release last year or it came out on Motown in the 60s. You know, they need evidence for everything. So it's a Discogs link is the ideal evidence you can quickly just copy and paste that link and it's very straightforward and if you don't submit evidence in 120 days they delete the recording but that doesn't stop you from reclaiming it as long as you can find the evidence and so that's been in effect since January this year and Discogs is a great source for track specific credits all the CMOs refer to it and Jackster which I'll let you talk a bit more about Stacey that's up and coming the CMOs are kind of slowly but surely starting to refer to Jackster as they do to Discogs which is great that's brilliant in a very bad kind of way thank you very much Sana what if you're migrating a catalog from like if you're just separating it out from another territory where where you were worldwide could you not just take the registrations from the previous CMO as evidence? I'm not sure because obviously if you're with PPL for most of Europe and you make your claims at PPL, as you know, they don't ask evidence for every single track. And surely they share repertoire with the Sister Society Center. And I imagine they have their own processes internally. Maybe there's a team at PPL that now attach evidence for Senate, but yeah, I'm not sure. I would think that the PPL registration, especially if it's something that's a catalog and it's in excess of X number of years, is the evidence. Because if you've been collecting and no one's objected for all this time, that's got to be evidential of something. Just speaking as a lawyer, there's precedent. Yeah, but also if you're migrating a catalog, which will have 200, 500 titles in it, getting evidence for all of that is a huge task. And I don't believe that they're researching based on the evidence that you give them. I also have other questions about this international mandate. So Sound Exchange just published that they have over 500,000 members. Does that mean that Sound Exchange, on behalf of all of their members, needs to provide evidence for every single track that is being collected from the Dutch society for those claims to remain active as part of their international mandate? That's such a valid question because, you know, a lot of CMOs 
that's what they do. They represent thousands and thousands of performers. And this is from the representative side that, yes, we have to attach evidence for every single track. Do the CMOs do that? Do they have the same process? We don't know. It's If so, it would be extremely time consuming. And if a client of yours or a performer and your PPL mandate included the Netherlands, and then you decided to resign, withdraw, and you're signing up with Senna directly, you know, for regional only mandate in, in the Netherlands, you would not need to, in theory, attach all that evidence because, yes, PPL made the claims, they've migrated across, they've been accepted. And this rule of Senna's is since the new year, so it's recent. And because I've noticed that with certain clients that have been with Senna for years and years and years, or they had the Netherlands looked after by a different CMO for a decade or so. And when I log on, they're all there they're earning money it's, they're not asking for evidence it's for like new signings or new it's like if someone wasn't represented at all in the Netherlands and suddenly I'm signing up with Senna and then I upload 3,000 tracks and it's like great thanks so you know send 3,000 discogs link if you're grandfathered into Senna already meaning you're there you don't need the evidence it's only for new claims correct okay got you even though new claims 3,000 because new catalog that was never registered Little daunting, but okay. So that's really interesting. And do we know why Senna has done this, brought in this new rule as of January? Have they had problems with claims before? Yeah, I don't know. I've asked other IFL members. They're not sure either. They're, um, they're also frustrated just because of the time-consuming aspect. So do we know how much money Senna is worth? Is it worth going directly with them in light of this if you have a new big catalog? License income for 2020 was 53 million euros or 56. Yeah, they pay well because they pay also like usage in like commercials and if a song that you performed on was used in like a TV advert, I know you say commercial, that, that gets neighboring rights, which is pretty cool. And they pay for jingles as well. So there's a lot of scope in the Netherlands. Going back to what's good evidence. So Discogs, obviously. And that's all user generated by the public and by the artists themselves. So they're in the best position to know. And the same with Jaxta. It's brilliant. It's all about your metadata, claiming your copyrights. We love it at SyncLodge. They're our first API partner for getting your catalog in the right place. Are there any other things that we can think of that would be good evidence? If you're a featured artist, simply a Spotify link or an iTunes link where it just says your name simply. When I work on featured artists' behalf at Senna and they are the featured artists, I, I just send the yeah. Spotify album link and like, this is that person and this is their pseudonym, which you're aware of. Because when you register a new performer at Senna, there is a section where you put in all the aliases, pseudonyms, stage yeah. names. But still, as we know, stuff out there in the ether on the World Wide Web can be misattributed. So it's interesting that they're wanting these external factors, these external links to be used as proof when it's actually the agreement that would govern that. So if you had specific term with a label or distributor, that would be the concrete evidence that that is indeed you. I love that. As a lawyer, I think contracts are the be all and the end all. So that's great advice. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening. Hit that join now button on ifr.co.uk. See you next week. Bye.